Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jen Hendrich, and I'm the middle school pastor here at Rolling Hills. For the past few weeks, we've been in a series called Jesus, Life-Changing Conversations. The conversation that we'll be diving into today is Jesus's conversation with the woman at the well. Pastor Jason will be highlighting the significance of Jesus's words to this woman and how he is the savior of all people, including the lost, the broken, and the hurt. Now let's hear from Jason. Well, it's a pretty common feeling in the world to go unnoticed, isn't it? Have you ever related to that where you're just wondering, does anybody actually see me? Does anybody notice me? Uh, maybe you're at work and you're not the new guy at work and you're not the boss at work, so you're somewhere in the middle. And the people in the middle sometimes just don't get noticed. And you look around and you're wondering, where is my credit? Where is my acknowledgement for what it is that I have done? Or maybe you're a preschool mom. And five years ago, your identity was a lot clearer than it is right now because as a preschool mom, it seems like the only thing you get noticed for is the sheer amount of diapers that you are changing day after day. But what some people don't realize is that this past year, you've also been navigating virtual school on and off with your kids. You've also been working from home. You've got these little ones in your house that want three meals a day. And so then there's a pile of laundry that's mounding. And so you're just wondering, does anybody see me? Because all that everybody ever sees me do is change diapers. Does anybody notice me? Or perhaps you are in a season of life where Life's just not what you expected it to be right now. You thought by now that you'd be married. You thought by now that you would have children. You thought by now you would have grandchildren. And you're wondering, where is my value? Does anybody actually see me? Or maybe you just live differently than other people. You see everybody else on your block, and they tend to be at a very different socioeconomic status than you do. And you're wondering, am I different? Am I strange? Am I weird? Does anybody see me? It could be any number of things that contribute to that feeling, but I'm assuming that most of us can pretty easily relate to that moment of, does anybody see me? And that concept is a really wonderful backdrop for this passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at, that I get the privilege of teaching you this morning on this incredible Palm Sunday, start to our Holy Week. And I hope that we're going to hone in together and that you're going to see in our time together as we hone in on this life-changing conversation that Jesus had with this Samaritan woman at the well, what Jesus sees in us, and that Jesus sees somebody who, is, who he came to die for, and who he is here, who he triumphantly said, I came so that you could have life, and that is my plan for the world. So know that I'm grateful that you're here. I like to say this frequently at the top of sermons, but I don't think it's by accident that any of you are here. And I hope and pray that God would show you today why he has brought you here. And so I'd love for us to pray before we dive into his word and just ask God to bring this scripture alive to us in this moment. Lord, thank you for meeting us here. I'm grateful for a powerful time of worship. And I thank you for each and every person that you've assembled. And I pray that you would help us to all know that you see us and that you love us and that you care for us. Thank you, God, for this day. And thank you for what's going to happen in this place. And it's the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. And amen. Well, the text that we're going to look at is in John chapter 4. And so if you have a Bible and you want to hop uh, or hop on their mobile device or your app or whatever, there's going to be these words up here on the screen as well. But John chapter 4, uh, specifically, we're going to be looking at about 40 verses. And so in the essence of time, I'm not going to read it all and then come back and reread it all again. So I just want to give you a little bit of an overview, the 30,000 foot view of what this entire text is going to show us. Jesus is in Judea, which is the southern part of Israel, and he's getting ready to go to Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel. And Samaria is right in the middle. Well, while in Samaria, 
Jesus stops at a well to ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water. And ultimately, he tells the Samaritan woman at the well that I am the living water and that if you drink from the water that I have, you'll never thirst again. So in this life-changing conversation, Jesus finds out that this woman is already had five husbands and she is currently with another man. She tries to change the topic, rightly so. And Jesus identifies to the Samaritan woman that he is the Messiah. And so after this encounter, this dramatic encounter with Jesus, the Samaritan woman goes into the town and shares about this encounter that she had with Jesus to many other people in the town. But what you really need to understand is the backstory. Because if you don't understand the backstory of this text, you just kind of read the words and you don't get the full picture of what is happening. Sometimes I'm reminded of this at our house. Sometimes our daughter, our seven-year-old daughter, will come to me and she will say that her little brother hit her, and which I don't doubt happens. But as I, as I dig a little bit deeper, I'm confronted with this harsh reality that I want to know what happened before the hit. And ultimately, if I dig a little bit, I realize that what happened before the hit was she snatched something out of his hands without asking him if she could have it. And so as a result, his response was to lash out in anger and hit her. I begin to fully understand when I see a little bit of the backstory. John chapter 4 is no exception. There is so much incredible backstory here, but let's read verses 1 through 8. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So see, you have Jesus, a Jewish man, a carpenter, a son of God, And he was in Judea in the southern part of Israel, and he begins his journey northward up towards Galilee. And if you have one of those Bible maps in the back of your Bible, look at where Samaria is is located. It's right in between Judea and Galilee. So if you're traveling north from Judea to Galilee, Samaria is what is in the middle. But Samaria was a hated community. The Samaritans were a hated group of people among the rest of the Israelites. Why? What did they do? Well, you have to go back a thousand years. In a thousand years, the northern part of Israel actually separated from the entire nation of Israel and kind of started doing their own thing. And so much so that they let down their guard, and the Assyrians, who are very evil people, they came in and they, they held the northern part of Israel captive. And so then, over time, they started trusting less in God and more of this kind of cultural hodgepodge of Assyrian beliefs and Jewish beliefs, and they started to intermarry, and they started to kind of lose their identity as a group of people. They started picking and choosing certain parts of the Old Testament that they wanted to believe. We believe that. We don't believe that. And so what that did is it caused a riff among the rest of Israel. So that everyone in the southern kingdom of Israel, they looked at the northern kingdom of Israel as unclean, ceremonially unclean. In fact, so much so, a Jewish person, if they were traveling from the south to the north and they had to go through Samaria, instead of going the quickest path through Samaria, they would actually walk all the way around Samaria That's how much they hated this group of people. It's kind of like if I'm in Nashville and I need to get to Indianapolis. There's this big city in Kentucky called Louisville that's right in the middle. Well, who wants the filth of Kentucky on them, right? I'm from Kentucky. It's a joke that I can make. 
Who wants the filth of Kentucky? So I'm not going to go straight through Kentucky. I'm going to go west to Arkansas, north to St. Louis, and east to Indianapolis, right? No, that's not the easiest path to get there. The easiest path from Judea to Galilee was right through Samaria. But they hated the Samaritans so much that they would walk around. Do you want to take a guess as to how many days it added to their journey to walk around Samaria? Six days. Not six hours, not six minutes. My question, how much do you have to hate somebody to add six days to your journey to not be in their presence? This is the backstory, And Jesus takes, however, the quickest path. And he says, I'm going right through Samaria. Look back at verse 3 and 4. So Jesus left Judea, and he went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. I love this. Jesus said, I'm not walking around. I'm not adding six days to my journey. I'm going right through the middle of Samaria. I have to go. In fact, I want to go through the town that everybody else is avoiding. See, Jesus is not some aloof, far away, distant, little G God who is here to make your life miserable. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's the one that came into town and said, everybody else has looked down on you. Everybody else thinks that you are less than them. Everybody else thinks that you are inferior. Everybody else thinks they are better than you. Everybody else has a higher social standing than you. Everybody else avoids you like the plague. They're not even going to walk through the town that you call home. Jesus says, I don't care how many mistakes you've made. I don't care how many sins you've committed. I don't care about your baggage. I don't care about all the things that if you told anybody, they would look at you like you were crazy. I don't care of what kind of shame that you are carrying right now. Jesus says, I am going to pursue you. In fact, you see this here on your notes if you like to fill in the blanks on your notes. Jesus is always pursuing you. Jesus is always pursuing you. He was pursuing this Samaritan woman that we're going to hear about. He had to go through Samaria, and I add, and he liked it. This wasn't a pain for him. I get to go through Samaria. I don't want to walk around. See, from the moment that you were born, Jesus has been pursuing you, and until the moment that you die, he will continue that pursuit. He will follow you into the dark places, and he will be with you in those moments of light. And so he came to a town in Samaria, in verse 5, called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. So he comes to this town called Sychar, and he approaches a well, and he's tired from the journey. It's in the heat of the day, noon. Where is the sun in the sky at noon? Right at the top. I mean, this is the heat of the day, the hottest portion of the day. This is in the Middle East, so the temperatures are exorbitantly high. I mean, we're talking 100 degrees plus in our kind of modern measurement of temperature. And he's sitting there at the well. Look at verse 7. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Catch this. This Samaritan woman is coming to draw water at noon. Some of you were not raised on a farm. Some of you have never had a job outside. Some of you still don't mow your own yard. So bless you for doing everything inside. But for those of you that have ever lived any life where you've had to do any kind of outside work, what time of the day do you not want to do work? Noon. If you're a golfer, what is the tea time that's always available in July that you don't want? Noon. If you're a runner, 5Ks in July never start at noon. Why? 
because that is a death sentence to try to accomplish those many things at noon. Here you have a Samaritan woman getting her chores done at noon. That should tell you something. That should pique your interest. Why is she not going in the early morning hours when it's cool? See, she's coming at noon not because she's interested in a tan. She's coming at noon because she doesn't feel comfortable being there when all the other women of the town are there. Why? You're going to see in a minute, which makes this story so much richer. So in the heat of the day, in a town that Jews avoided to a people that were considered inferior to a woman who in the first century had absolutely zero rights, Jesus turns to her and he says, give me a drink. And she replies, literally in the Greek, if you go back and look at the Greek phrase that we translate into English, she literally replies back to him, Jews do not use dishes that Samaritans have used. We don't associate. You're asking me for a drink and you shouldn't be using a dish that I have drank from. You're not supposed to even be with me. See what John Piper says. I love this. He says, societally, what you're seeing right here is that Jesus is pursuing a very unacceptable relationship. He's societally pursuing something that, from the world's perspective, is unacceptable. It's taboo. You don't do it. Jesus is saying, you know what, though? It doesn't matter what everybody else has said about you. I want to be in a relationship with you. I am going to the cross for you. I am going to die so that you can have life. The price for your sin is going to be paid by me shedding my blood. It's what we're celebrating this week with this holiest of weeks, that Jesus triumphantly comes into town and unequivocally says, I am the Savior. You have life through me and me alone. And I'm going to take up the cross and take your sin up on my shoulders, is what Jesus said. And I'm going to die. And I'm going to resurrect from the dead three days later to show you once and for all that you do not have to be held captive by that sin anymore. That's the message that Jesus is trying to proclaim here to this woman. Now, don't miss this as well, though. Jesus is also giving us a really clear picture here of how we should view others. This is a perfect snapshot of Jesus saying, if you really want to understand what it means to treat people like Jesus wants you to treat people, then look at John chapter 4. I don't have to remind you that we live in a divided world. We live in a world that is um, sometimes so hateful And the hate is more common than we can imagine. We live in a world where people are still judged by the color of their skin. We live in a world where sometimes if somebody's a different political party than you are, you feel superior to them or inferior to them. Or if somebody, um, you know, is in, in a conflict, then you can kind of cop this attitude of I'm better than you or whatever the case might be. But I want you to hear this. Jesus is not silent on any of these issues. And these are not new things. Sometimes we like to think that conflict among people is like a 21st century principle. Not at all. You see this here in your notes, and I want you to catch this. Division among people is not new. Division among people did not come with the onset of social media. Division among people is not new, and Jesus has always been the answer. Division among people is not new, and Jesus has always been the answer. Note that I did not say Jesus is one of many answers. Jesus is the answer answer. Some of you might look at that phrase and you say, I agree, Pastor Jason, with one part of that phrase, or I agree with no parts of that phrase, or maybe I agree wholeheartedly with both parts of that phrase, but you're going to be hard-pressed to find a passage of Scripture that illuminates for you more clearly how Jesus said you are to view and interact people than right here in John chapter 4. So if you ever find yourself thinking, I'm better than somebody else, 
or Jesus clearly couldn't use a person with that kind of past, or even worse, that person is beneath me. See, that's not of Jesus, and I beg you to repent of that today because that's not a Jesus-honoring principle. Division's not new, but Jesus is the answer. So in response to her acknowledgement, she says, we shouldn't even be sharing a cup, more or less talking here in this moment. In, in response, look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? I firmly believe, and you see this here on your notes, I believe that you likely underestimate what Jesus wants to do for you. The Samaritan woman did. She was underestimating just what Jesus wanted to do for her, and the reality is I probably do as well. This Samaritan woman is beginning to realize there's something different about this guy. And he's talking about this living water. And she says, well, sir, how deep do you have to dig in this well (laughs) to find the water that you're speaking of? She's still kind of literally trying to grapple with what he is saying. I think sometimes we forget how much Jesus cares. And we forget sometimes that he sees us. Sometimes my prayers are not reflective of the Savior of the world. Sometimes my prayers sound more like, well, Jesus, I mean, if you're capable of, Or if you're not too busy and you could care about little old me. But see, now Jesus says, I have pursued you. I see you. I died for you. I care about you. I am for you. And so approach him with that boldness and approach him with that confidence because he cares and he is there for you. Don't underestimate who you're dealing with when Jesus enters the picture. Have you ever had those moments when you're talking to somebody and they're a big deal in the world, but you didn't know they were a big deal? Or they're a big deal in some sector and you just didn't realize that you were talking to somebody that's a lot more important than you realize? Or vice versa, you've had this moment where you're talking to somebody that's a really big deal to you, but they're not a big deal to anybody else. A couple of years ago, a buddy of mine invited me to a lunch gathering and he said, there's going to be a former WWF wrestler at this lunch gathering. Well, that piqued my interest because as a kid raised in the 80s and 90s, WWF was my jam. (laughs) This is the portion of the program called Things You Didn't Know About Your Pastor. (laughs) I mean, and like wrestling was where it was at. Like I loved it. And I was like, I mean, I could like, you know, bank on when it was on, I was going to watch it. And so my friend kind of downplays it, but he worked for a a movie company. He said, we're releasing this new movie about the life of this wrestler, Ted DiBiase, the million-dollar man. Now, by a show of hands, does anybody remember Ted DiBiase, the million-dollar man? Thank you, three of you. I appreciate that. (laughs) So that's a big deal for all of us in here. So I'm like, I'm going to cancel whatever, because this guy was a huge WWF star. I need to make this lunch. And so I get there, and there's like 10 people at this house for two and a half hours with a barbecue lunch, and Ted and I are talking. I mean, we're really close now. So, I mean, it's like we're on a first-name basis. Ted and I are talking, and and he's talking about all the the behind-the-scenes of how wrestling worked, and this was a huge deal to me. It might not be to you, but it was a big deal to me. Back to the well. This is a huge deal for this Samaritan woman. She just doesn't quite realize it yet. She doesn't realize just how much her life is getting ready to change, but oh, she will. Look at verse 13. 
So Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. He's talking about the physical water in the well. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come. Come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. See, out of the gate, Jesus identifies to this woman, I'm not some ordinary passerby. I'm not somebody here who just stopped randomly for a drink of water. But rather, he says, if you drink from the water that I offer you, it's a well that never runs dry. It's this spring of water that leads to eternal life. And she says, I want that water. Give me that water. Now, to reiterate what's going on here, Jesus asks her a question that kind of seems like a really hard left turn for me. You start reading, and she says, I want the living water. And Jesus says in verse 16, well, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus replies, you are correct. You do not have a husband, but you've had five husbands already, and you're currently living with a man who is not your husband. See, Jesus did not pick up a stone to stone her. Jesus did not give her a firm lecturing. But what he's doing right here is he's letting her know, I know everything about you. I know everything about your past. I know everything you've tried to hide. I know everything that you're ashamed of. I know everything you're embarrassed of. Because when I ask you the reality of the truth, you couldn't tell me the truth. I know it all. Jesus knew the intricacies of this woman's story before he ever left Judea to head to Galilee. Remember at the top of the message I said, it's not by accident that any of you are here. It's not by accident that Jesus stopped at this well. And that he had this encounter with this woman. He did it because he loved her. And he does it for you. He took his and gave his life for you so that you could trust him and that you could have life. But what you see here is the reality is in this story is that this woman at the well was looking for something else to fill her life. In essence, we can only assume based on the fact that in her life already, she's had five husbands and is living with someone that is not her husband quite yet, it appears that she's trying to find meaning in relationships and meaning in, you know, these men that she brings into her life. But ultimately what it has done is left her empty. And it's not been able to quench the the deepest needs of her life. And I want you to see this here on your notes. But you and I can do the same thing. You can attempt to fill your life with anything and everything that is not Jesus, and you're always going to be feeling left empty try it sometime. You can attempt to fill your life with anything and everything that is not Jesus, and you're always going to be feeling left empty. Some of us have tried to fill our life with relationships, and they just 
don't always work out. They don't ever give us precisely what we need because what we need is a relationship with Jesus. One way that you can tell that you're filling your life with things that don't ever really satisfy is how you respond when you're confronted with the truth. And this should be a telltale sign in your life. If your life is empty, and if you're trying to fill it with the wrong things, when you're confronted with truth, what you often try to do is you change the subject. Or when you're confronted with truth, you start looking for exceptions. Don't you love those moments when you're speaking truth to someone, and you can see their wheels are turning because they're looking for the outlying random fact that is going to refute the truth that you said. A telltale sign in our life that our life is really empty is when we're confronted with the truth of Jesus, we start looking left and right to figure out how can I get out of the conversation and how can I get out of this situation or what kind of random thing can I bring into my life, some exception. Because look what she says. Look at this particularly, verses 19 and 20. Jesus has just revealed some amazing truth to her. And she says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on the mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Hello. Jesus just said, you've had five husbands, and you're currently living with someone that is not your husband. And I can imagine that Jesus just stops and takes a drink of the physical water. And she says, well, our ancestors were on the mountains, and the Jews were in the temple. Where are we really supposed to worship? Jesus. Like, he just surfaced something in my life that made me really uncomfortable. So instead of saying, hmm, this guy knows me, he got the five plus the sixth man. Right. I mean, he's not guessing. So instead of saying, hmm, hmm, she responds with, our ancestors were on the mountains and the Jews were in the temple. But what temple shall we build now? For this God you speak of. When you're confronted with truth and you start weaseling out, let that be a sign. There's something you need to attend to. Now, Jesus being the ultimate grace giver says to her, she acknowledges that there is a Messiah. And when this Messiah comes, this is what he's going to do. And Jesus says in verse 26, I, the one that is speaking to you, I am And then scroll down to verse 28. I love this because this is where the story gets really cool. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and she said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of town and they made their way toward him. And then scroll down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you've said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So she now goes back into town, and she says, I met this man. Let me tell you guys. I tried to change the subject, but he knew everything about me. Is it possible that he is the Messiah? He is the Messiah. She was at the well at noon because she was an outcast. And then she goes back to the very women that she was outcast from and proceeds to tell them about this encounter that she had with Jesus. 
it makes the story so much richer and so much more grace-filled to know that an outcast goes back to the people who have outcast her and said, Jesus is here, and he is for you, and he is pursuing us. Jesus changed her, and she told other people about it. And I want you to get this today. And you see it here on your notes, but the most powerful story you can tell, the most powerful story you can tell is who Jesus is and what he has done for you. It's the most powerful story. The most powerful story is who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Some of us aren't sharing our stories right now because we don't think we have a story that's worth sharing. And some of us aren't sharing our stories right now because we don't feel confident enough in our stories. And some of us don't share our stories right now because we're worried that somebody's going to ask a question that we don't know how to answer. Did you notice that this woman does not go back with a list of proofs? She doesn't go back and say, I have done some empirical research and I have proven that this is, in fact, the Messiah that we have been waiting on. No, she says, this guy knew everything about me. So he probably knows everything about you, too. So maybe we should listen to what he is saying. You all have a story to share, and I can't think of a better week for you to start sharing your story than this week, this holiest of weeks, where you simply have the courage to say, God, you've changed me. You love me. You have pursued me. You have given me a story, and I want to share that story. In fact, I think there's incredible power in stories. There's incredible power in you talking about Jesus being your wellspring of life in some of the darkest and most difficult seasons that you've encountered. I want you to hear one of those stories this morning. This story is very different from the story of the woman at the well, but it's from a dear friend, an amazing lady here in the life of our church named Rosanna Williams. And Rosanna's going to share with you a portion of her story. And I want you to listen in this story for these moments when Rosanna says, and she knows and she believes in her heart that in the midst of physical infirmities, that Jesus has been the wellspring, that Jesus is the one that she has been able to trust. And so I hope you're encouraged by Rosanna's story. Let's take a look. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, Rolling Hills Women As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening, ways you can connect. We are thankful for you.